0: from Albany Public Library in Albany, New York, I'm Ryan Slowey. This is the Albany Made Podcast. In today's episode, APL's Executive Director, Scott Tersenbeck, sits down with Nancy Burrill, author of I'm Not Holding Your Coat, a memoir about finding empowerment through the Philadelphia punk and hardcore music scenes during the late 1970s and early 1980s. She talks about how her experiences have informed her calling as an educator and the connections she's made along the way, while Scott shares parallels in his own trajectory as a person and educator.
1: You have written a personal book. What was the influence and what did the process look like?
2: I've been a storyteller. Storytelling is a very valued skill in my household with my parents, my brothers and sisters, my cousins. We like to tell stories and telling them well is important. There are a couple of factors that played into why this book got written. First was Reverend Hank Pierce who used to wrote it for Slapshot. He asked me if punk rock ever affected my teaching and he asked me to write something up. And so I did. After I wrote it, I was like, wow, you know, this is kind of like really powerful, <laughs> you know? So I submitted it to Education Week and it kind of went viral, you know? And then I did an Ed Talk, which is like a TED Talk for teachers on how punk rock made me a better teacher. So I knew I, I kind of had something People like the stories, you know, and I'd also tell the stories on hardcore Facebook groups and punk rock Facebook groups. And one thing that always annoyed me was I would write something and then some dude who was born in 1995 would try to refute or correct or contradict what I was saying. And I felt like the voice of women was being erased and people were saying we weren't there. Like a guy on one of the pages literally said, you could not be at the shows that you said you were because there were no women at shows, you know, and it's just not true, you know? So I felt that I had to, you know, go on the record, so to speak. So that's all the reasons why the book got written. And it was, it was a process. Yes, it was quite a process, but it's out there and I could not be happier.
1: A theme in the book was your experience as a woman in the scene and part of a subculture. What was that like, especially in the 80s and some of the neighborhoods that you lived in and you hung out
2: in? It was an extremely welcoming place. And the women in the punk rock scene and the hardcore scene were really empowered. People accepted us. People looked up to us. We made shit happen. And so I always felt like, The punk rock world and the hardcore world empowered me. I felt like I had 30 big brothers and sisters. I was fearless because of it. And so I felt much more accepted than I did in the mainstream world as a woman in the punk rock world. Times were dangerous, but times were dangerous for everyone, not just for women. So (laughs) the late 70s and early 80s were, you know, they were crazy times, but fun times as well. I love the first chapter or two of the book because you talk
1: about your experience in punk and hardcore and how it helped you develop as an educator. And that really resonated with me. Can you just talk about how being involved in the scene and being a part of a subculture has helped you develop as a teacher?
2: When I thought really deeply about it after Hank asked me, I was like, wow, punk rock informs my practice on practically a daily basis. In my first years of teaching, I did a lot of gang outreach work. (laughs) Even like the gang kids used to say, aren't you afraid? And I wasn't because I had come up in Philly where people threw bombs at us. It wasn't particularly scary. Also, I think that I was able to relate to my students, especially those that felt alienated and marginalized, because I felt the same way. And even though I grew up, and don't get me wrong, I grew up with a great deal of privilege, I still remember what it was like to sit in the back of a classroom and feel disenfranchised and feel like I could not connect to my learning and that no one cared about me and that My learning experience was stifled. So, when I'm in the classroom, I try constantly to make sure that my students are making connections to what they read. And I'm trying to really create independent thinkers, you know, the saying, don't teach them what to think, teach them how to think. And so, when I create assignments, I try to ask kids to make complicated decisions, right? Despite things like politics and social mores and a lot of noise and fake things coming at them all the time. And so that they can sort through all that and make their own decisions about stuff. I created a film and writing class where I really want the kids to understand that the entertainment industry targets them as a demographic, and it's sending them a message, be it political, spiritual, gender, race, anything. It's talking to them, and they need to hear what it's saying and decide for themselves whether to accept it or reject it. I teach a class on The Walking Dead as well, which a student and I created together. One of the things I wanted to do there was to Use that class as a backdrop where I could create lessons where kids could explore sociology and psychology and business and ethics and international relations, stuff that you don't normally learn in high school. And that's all punk rock. And then, like, the final piece of it is I teach in a low income district. We don't have a lot of money. 80% of my students live at or below the poverty level. So, the do it yourself work ethic that I learned in punk rock, like, if you want to make something happen, happen. You have to do it yourself is enormously, enormously important to me because I do a lot of fundraising to get books, to get guest speakers, to go on field trips and to help level the playing field for my students so that they can compete with their wealthier peers. All of that's punk rock. How do you handle when students discover your past? For the first 15 years, I kind of hid it from my students. I didn't think it would play well with administrators. I didn't think it would play well with parents. So I never really told anybody. And then with the advent of the internet, one of my kids outed me, found a picture of me at CBGB's. I had to think fast, you know, confirm, deny, what am I going to do here? You know? And, and I just told them about it and how it was so much fun and the best times of my life. And my kids really aren't interested in punk rock. They like hip hop and world music. But I think they like the idea that I was kind of forging new paths and I was a social activist as a punk rocker. And so they liked that part of it. My students are pretty open-minded and they come from every corner of the world. Maybe in a different community, it might be like, oh, wow, you know, but not in mine. The kids are great.
1: The book, you definitely have a broad worldview and it's impressive. But now that you have a little bit more life experience and you've been teaching, what does punk rock mean to you now?
2: It's something that I still turn to every day. I still question authority if I think that someone is trying to do something that will harm my students, that is still a big piece of it. I still feel like I'm constantly fighting to create equity for my students. And so punk rock still lives on in my classroom. It's still there. It's still in my heart. Everybody has a master status trait. Mine is probably that I come from the punk world. That's something that has really made me who I am today. And it's been many, many years since I've been involved. And I I had to say to myself, like, why am I still talking about this 38 years later? And that's why, because it still impacts what I do in the classroom and in my life. What has been the response to the book? The response to the book has been overwhelming. Like, I thought, some family, some friends, and some diehard punk rock people would read it. And when the first printing sold out in pre orders, there was nobody more shocked than me. And so my nieces and nephews and cousins have all read it and given me glowing reviews. I have one a nephew who is very into music, especially live music. And he asked me a lot of questions about the bands and about the writing process and stuff. And at school, I was really so surprised how many of my colleagues supported me, even though they don't really know much about punk rock or that's not their scene, but they bought the book and they read it. And it was really incredibly heartwarming. And then what was really got my heart was that I had a lot of former students I've been teaching for 27 years. So, you know, I've got students that are between the ages of 17 and 40. A lot of them bought it, held up their book and took pictures and sent them to me. And then current students found out about it. Like I didn't really say too much about it, but they bought it as well. And one of my favorite, favorite reviews is from a girl who has only been in this country for about a year and a half from Morocco. And I screenshot and saved her review because it warmed my heart so much what she said about the book and absolutely has zero connection to punk rock. So the fact that the book reaches people up that are outside of that scene, that makes me feel really good as a person and as a writer. <laughs> you know? I'm really excited about that. Best band you ever saw, best show you ever attended. Bad Brains, 100% best show I ever saw. You know, people told me when you see the Bad Brains, your life will change. And it was a transformative experience. I have never seen a band play so well, songs structured, so incredible, live performance, insane. And if you didn't see it before 1982, you missed it. And I was lucky enough, like the first time I saw them, I said, I'm going to go see this band wherever they play in a tri-state area region. And I did, I would go see them on like a Tuesday night in like Newark or something, (laughs) you know, like I didn't care. I was going to go see them and probably the best show, even though it was super nerve wracking, I'm going to say performance wise, it was Buff Hall with Minor Threat, SSD Control, Agnostic Front, Crib Death and Flag of Democracy. That was an insane night. But it was everybody, I think, because the night was so insane and so dangerous and chaotic that everybody just brought their A-game and played their hearts out. And the energy in the room was really great. And it merged a lot of scenes, Boston, New York, D.C., Philadelphia. I was in the very early love stages with Al and my parents met Al for the first time that night. And so, yeah, Buff Hall is probably my favorite show.
1: Why should someone who wasn't into punk or hardcore read your book? What's the underlying message?
2: I think it's a historical document and artifact, for one, that pretty accurately conveys what was going on in Philadelphia in the late 1970s and early 80s musically. It's a story of female empowerment. It's a story, uh, it's a coming-of-age story. It's a love letter to Philadelphia, and it's a love story, too, because it's, it's also about when I meet Al and decide to move to Boston. The book ends the day I moved to Boston. I got all of those themes out of
1: it. And, and I married a very strong, empowered woman who I met through hardcore. So it's awesome. it kind of like
2: very sweet to read the story. Are you thinking of, of writing anything in the future? When I wrote the book in the beginning, it was how punk rock made me a better teacher. And the beginning was the punk rock book. And then the rest of it was about certain students that impacted my life. And I hope that I impacted theirs. I got a high powered agent right away. And, you know, he's like, we're going to put this out to bid. And I was all excited. But it turned out people either like the punk rock story or the teaching story. They didn't like the two stories together. So I just pulled off the punk rock story and worked on that because it was finite and it was short. So I do still have the teacher story. And I talked to Ian at Bazillion and asked him if he wanted to do that. And he was like, if I could wait till 2022, that, you know, he would be down with that. I also worked on a book with Al and Phil and Flash and Jamie Sharapa from SSD Control. It's a photo essay book uh, with mostly Phil's photos and flyers and other ephemera that we tell stories again about SSD Control. And the very short lived time of that band as well. So that book been in production for a while because you know you gotta get the photographs and you gotta get the stories from all the different people. So hopefully I would love to see it come out by Christmas holidays or something like that.
1: Nancy, thanks so much for taking time out.
0: albany made podcast is a production of albany public library in albany new york produced by ryan slowey you can find more episodes on itunes soundcloud apple podcasts and other podcast apps you can also listen on our youtube page at albany ny library or on our website albanypubliclibrary.org today's music provided by spellrunner to hear more visit spellrunner.bandcamp.com thank you for listening